Let's be very uh, grateful as we step into the Word. Dear Lord God, we are thankful. We'd ask that you would walk before us as we honor your scriptures, written by your apostles, that um, we would be led down the path that we should go, that our lives would be designed in such a way that you would be pleased with your church. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, last week, because I was in Philippians 1, 1 through 11, that's a, a mighty powerful temptation to be in Philippians 1, 12, and following. So I don't know if I'll keep going. I, I noticed that I hadn't been, I mentioned it last Sunday, that I hadn't been um, in Philippians for a long time because it's one of those books you expect that you have been in because it's so important. So you forget to be in it uh, because of that. But as I looked at the next section of chapter 1 of Philippians, not directly, it wasn't that chapter in the Bible about how do Christians deal with plague. Um, but it, it, it echoed on some uh, points. And I don't want to really talk about it. Maybe the plague has some illustrative quality. And I probably noted it when I read the first verse. I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. One of the things we have noted in this uh, circumstance, we will call it, where we have all been watching each other suspiciously. We've been looking at the, those who are in power, who are in arrayed against the Lord and his hosts. And as you've studied more constitutional law uh, uh, aggressively, and as you've watched other states and you've watched other groups and you've it's been very, a very time. If you're paranoid, this is a good time to be paranoid because everybody's watching you. Everyone's suspecting you of either being this coward, not worthy of the name of American, or some guy who wants to kill your grandma. So we've been alert to this, but, and, and you've been in this situation socially. Somebody mentioned it last night, I think John. Uh, Slagbo mentioned it last night. We were at, having dinner together and somehow <laughs> the virus came up as a conversational topic. And you know, you know what that is? Well, what else are we going to talk about? Haven't been anywhere in weeks. But you know that, that certain things are demanding. this paranoia, this threat, this whatever else. But as I was talking with the IT priests, one of the, the, the best thing, the first week, we were sitting in the library at the big house. And somehow we found out, I don't know how, because they didn't actually notify us, that church was canceled. It was a Friday night. Church was canceled by the city of Moscow and the governor. And the priests a twinkle in their eye or energy in their um, they, they love doing this it's a lot of work but they love doing this probably immorally but they had us up and running the smallest church in town with no government or budget up and running before the other churches in town on the, and, and have been on the internet for seven weeks, eight weeks, what has it been? And then they just transferred it down to here, and now they're working on making this. I mean, we'll probably walk in, we'll start glowing, because, which will be a good effect. Other churches will go, wow, those Christians, well, they got glow. Well, it's mostly the 5G going through our bodies. Um, so we, we, we bless God and say, you know, we've, we've talked about streaming church service of a small church for no reason for years. When Paul got arrested, 
It has served to advance the gospel. And when we got locked up, even though we weren't thinking of it, it served to advance the gospel. For St. Paul, it's, it's the uh, Praetorian Guard. Now, the Praetorian Guard is a, is a many thousand uh, troop unit, uh, primarily for the protection of the emperor, or proconsuls. Um, so there was a Praetorian Guard for the proconsuls in Jerusalem and Caesarea and so forth, but they're sort of a Swiss Guard at the Vatican. They're sort of uh, secret service without being so secret. But uh, notable uh, uh, people that a lot of people think that Paul in his imprisonment in Rome, this is one of his imprisoned epistles, has had a ministry to this military unit that was um, very notable. And we, we have here, I, I'm looking at the chat room here, um, you know, there's some people in town, either somebody's sick in the family, and they can log on. <laughs> but we have people all over the country. You know, the president's not watching, I don't think. But uh, you, you have a reach that you didn't realize you were going to have. A real encouragement to the saints that you didn't realize you were going to have. This all, whatever it was, Maybe needed to happen to all souls Christians so that, you know, we, you know, a little uppity about our constitutional rights and so forth, but, you know, it got us to do the thing that was the good thing to do. Now, the idea in this passage, this is verse 12, down to the end of the chapter. What I want you to be thinking about is how central, how central the gospel, how central Christ is. Because one of the other things you run into is some of the debates about the coronavirus were about constitutionality. Some of the protests were about constitutionality. Some of the arguments about behavior of Christians was about your role in the society. Should you comport yourself, is it Romans 13 or is it the First Amendment? You know, what, is it, what are we supposed to do? You can have all sorts of different views on the situation. But one of the things that is evident is as we got to the end of the, our sentence and we knew that things were going to get opened up, we sent that letter with a couple other churches here in town to the governor, got ignored, got a form letter back, never even heard from the mayor, um, about the uh, standard of Christians of being about the gospel. It was well written regarding, I did not write it, my... Eldest wrote it, and, and he stressed the difference that Christians had, that we're, our relationship with death is different than other people. And as soon as people started doing those sorts of things, just a petition, can you let us meet on Easter? No. Okay. Um, I see what you're saying there. People get together, and there's, that's the Lutheran pastor. One of the Lutheran pastors in town has been corresponding with the um, what's it, mayor or the cops or something about meeting. It's getting picked up as, in a, as a broader story in the state. People in Washington are, uh, some guy sued the state for churches to meet and I guess the state upheld or the, the judges upheld his petition that they couldn't make a rule against Christian worship. Happening in California, a bunch of Christians are going to go to church. Seems like what a rebellious act. But when, when things start to happen, I, I know we have a different gradient. Some of you are really cautious. Some of you are AR-15, you know, 
hip flask of strong coffee and you're ready to, what's it called, the boogaloo? Is it, uh, we're, we're ready to, let's have a civil war. But could be better. Now, given that we're trying to minister to all of you uh, from uh, the people who don't want to do, violate any standard and you actually, Leslie had her picture taken at Costco, we ran into John O'Brien down there. John O'Brien, as you know, is a difficult man with a great sense of humor. So he was taking pictures of people distancing. Leslie had a tape measure that was actually six feet long. So Leslie got her tape measure out and pushed it up against John. And so the photo is online of Leslie measuring, making sure that John was six feet away. We have different sorts of demands put on us, and sometimes contradictory. We don't know. We wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. It's not important, it is important, it's not important, it is important. But the believers, as they are starting to do something pro-something, and that's not just the believers in Christ, but the believers in the Constitution, start to do something, they get more encouraged to do it by others having done it before them. This is, the brethren made more confident, verse 14, in the Lord because of my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Few Christians get hauled off to jail. That woman in Texas who was a hairstylist, you know, sentenced to seven days in jail, and the, the world comes to an end, and the governor goes, Oh, no, she's not. And Ted Cruz got his hair cut by her this week. What do those things do? Well, they, they, they all encourage us when the Christians realize that things landing on them. For us as Christians, just like for us as American constitutionalists, I'm not equating them, I'm just saying that you are encouraged when you see someone standing faithfully for the thing. Made more confident, much more bold to speak. And because the world is confused, the world is wanting to point out to us what we're supposed to do. I have this verse here at the top of the left-hand side, out of Matthew, it struck my mind as I was thinking about this this morning. This is the Lord speaking, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We piped to you, and you did not dance. We wailed. You did not mourn. You're not doing what we told you to do. You're not lining up to be um, the comfortable citizen who does not react negatively to anything we instruct you to do in the culture, just as a cultural instruction, or a law, a legal instruction, um, that everybody, because they were told, stayed home. They just told us, stay home. Okay. And they started to figure out, hold it, why did they tell me to stay home? What evidence do they have? People start having different opinions. But what happens here is this is what Christ is saying. He's, he's saying this after he's talked about John the Baptist with them. He says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he is a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is the phrase that I want you to remember. Yet wisdom is justified by her deed. I think uh, the Gospel of Luke has a little differently. Uh, wisdom is done by all of her children. What I want to encourage you to be thinking about is whether or not our involvement in moments like this, whatever they are, and moments like whatever the next moment is. What if we go to war with some other country and we forget all about the virus and we're off to war against, I don't know, Brazil? Pick a country. What do we do with that? Or an asteroid strikes Brazil. It's always Brazil. What do we do? How do we act? What I want you to be thinking about is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a 
centerpiece for all of us for our inertial force in life. Why, why am I doing anything? I can, I can, I can go to the beach because I like to go to the beach at that ordinate level of choice because of that ordinate, you know, value. But we know, we know that for the Christians, something has entered their life that is really important. His imprisonment was for Christ. And we have to recognize that where we're lacking on that responsiveness to the gospel. Not just, well, we responded to it. I'm a Christian. We live generally in an affluent society where no one is getting arrested for being a Christian. Knock on wood, cross your fingers. They could kick down the door any moment and find that you're not six feet apart from each other. Pastor goes to jail. It'd be me. I'd be happy to serve time for you guys because you wouldn't obey the rules. Fine. We don't often see that. As a matter of fact, um, it's something that moments like this help us realize what is being encouraged to come out of me. What, what as the Christian church stands for some of these things politically, and other businesses stand for them politically, and Freedom Association stands for it politically. They are violating the Constitution, but is a violation of the Constitution more important to me than my attachment to the Gospel? That I am more inclined to preach the Gospel, not more inclined to sue them for violation of my civil rights. And I think they could be sued for their violation of civil rights, and I have no objection to you doing both. But we have to realize what we're caught up in is something manifestly far more important than the people scurrying around, piping to you your fears or piping to you your courage. Whatever they, you're either mourning or you're dancing according to what group is singing to you, commanding you to move. We say, no, I'm... I'm doing this for the Lord Christ. Now, even in that camp, even in that category, our Christianity, when it says, well, wisdom is known by all of her children, you could have somebody as disparate as John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. One guy, nicely dressed. You don't, you don't want to think about this, but more like Joel Osteen, um, not positionally, but maybe dress-wise. And John the Baptist, more like the crazy homeless guy down on Friendship Square, you know, with his wand. And I'm sure John smelled bad. Pretty sure. And yet, wisdom is known by all of her children. Doesn't matter if you think he had a demon and you think that I'm a drunk. Something else is being served in the standard categories. We are serving Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection more than we're serving even the issue of fear of passing on a disease or courage about who cares if we pass on a disease. We can't confuse them. We get lessons from them. We learn that, hey, I should be encouraged to stand for the gospel more If you see a Christian leader standing for the gospel in this situation, don't confuse it with someone making a case for his constitutional rights. He's making a case for Jesus Christ. He can take away your rights at any point. You know that, don't you? The rights, that nonsense about they were given to you by God. No, they were given to you by the state, and they could take them away. We wouldn't like it. It wouldn't be a good idea. We still have Christ to preach. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. You ever think about that? Paul's day, just like today. It was, I used to think as a kid that there was Jesus and then the 
11 disciples, then Paul a little later. And those 12 guys went out and were the only 12 saying anything in the Mediterranean. Like Christianity was a new thing, who else was going to be saying? You know, the place was awash in ministries that didn't like each other, just like today. Some preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So there are ministries that might not like All Souls Christian Church. Some who have a great relationship with it, just don't, you know, don't come here, like us a lot. The Anglicans seem to like us okay, they use our building. But some actually from envy and rivalry. St. Paul, I mean, another ministry down the, because think of you were at the same time. Apostleship hadn't gotten a lot of cred yet. Oh yeah, we were, we were apostles. Well, so what? Oh, you were the apostle who self-appointed, said you were an apostle. You didn't actually, you weren't actually taught by the rabbi, but you said you met him, mm-hmm. magically. Mm-hmm. I could just see the doubt in people about St. Paul, the envy about whatever successes he had or the intelligence that he managed to uh, uh, declare. People in a rivalry. In other words, what kind of results are you getting mattering to you? One of the worst abominations in church history. I grew up in Southern Baptist Church. That little panel over on this side. Attendance last week. Attendance this week. How much was collected in the tithing? They counted up, put the number up there. You didn't have to count the crowd. I don't know, what are you now? Something like 50? Looks like 50. Somebody did the count. We could put it up there with a crayon. Because, boy, we have to have a metric for the rivalry. Just tell people we're the smallest church in town. I think the Anglicans are smaller. But let's just claim it. Let's win that smallness. We know that Christians can be about other things inside the Christian work. These were other people in the ministry and were being moved by something other than what Paul was moved by. Paul knew they were wrong. They thought Paul was wrong. But what was Paul's difference in thinking they were wrong? The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Those that see the union between their ministry and St. Paul's was because of the gospel of Jesus Christ being central to his imprisonment. The former proclaimed Christ out of partisanship. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So they've lost some real claim to Jesus Christ and him crucified, even though they're saying Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's a, it's a stick to beat the other ministry with. And since Paul's in jail, we can be out there preaching it. You know, getting ahead. I've been talking about it with the virus. You know, We opened up before Washington did. In about a week, everybody in Pullman is going to drive to Moscow for dinner, hoping they can get in. We're not going to let them in, because we're going to have all the seats reserved. That's going to be a church ministry. We will have reserved seating in every restaurant for about five months. And then we'll sell them. Okay, if anybody reports me to the cops for saying that, I'll find out. <laughs> People are, could be awful. Even if, if you're in Christian circles, most of you are young, in Christian circles for very much longer, walk in the faith, 
it's hard not to be discouraged because you want to find someone like Paul who's doing what he's doing and getting arrested, what he's arrested for, for the right reason and even having a good attitude to those who want to afflict him in his chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. That's the great you know, sponge wash that goes over all the problems inside the ministry. Are they preaching Jesus Christ? No. If their ministry is winning. What if they're preaching self-help and actualization or something like that in the name of Christianity? Now, damn them all to the bad place. They're not preaching Jesus Christ. What if they're just bad people preaching Jesus Christ? Paul says, I don't Man, as long as Christ is preached. He's really his own loss. He's in jail. They're getting gains. They're pretending about this. They're insincere about this. They're partisan about this. They're envious. They've got a rivalry going. And yet, because on his ear, the gospel falls as so important, it's more important than you winning. More important than Paul winning. He can rejoice in that. I remember years ago, some of you are old enough to remember Marjo Goitner. Uh, there was a movie that came, this is the 70s. He was an evangelist that began as an evangelist in probably when he was about five. Little kid, real attractive. I think he could sing and he'd preach on the sawdust trail and he would... Oh, he ended up being a moral reprobate thing. The movie was called Marjo, I forget who it starred. But uh, it was a documentary, sort of docudrama of thing. They interviewed people that had been converted at his crusades. They had one woman on who knew perfectly well the man was a reprobate. But she said, the gospel came to me. He preached it. I believed it. It wasn't true in Marjo but I'm very thankful that I heard it. It changed my life. Now that's, that's just something you begin to see that it can happen. People, we were talking last night in the, at the big house about cults and how cults can occur in orthodox uh, believing situations. It's the way people function with their beliefs. We are known as wisdom's children by our deeds. Does the gospel change us? Is the gospel the most important, the, the mystery hidden for ages, as Paul calls it, calls it? Are our mouths being more inclined to argue more about the constitutionality of our right to worship, or are they more likely to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in spite of the command that we not? Is Christ's proclamation the most important thing? Look at those things that are written up. The envy, rivalry, insincerity, partisanship, pretense. <clears throat> Paul then follows this line of thought in verse 19. Yes, and I shall rejoice. He doesn't just let it lie there as something that he's claiming and oh, that kind of sounded spiritual for me to claim that I rejoice when somebody who is an awful person as long as they're preaching Jesus Christ. He wants to insist on it. Yes, and I shall rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. You see in this section of scripture how close, well, they were a lot closer to death than we are, we think. We might get killed by an accident. They had people running around trying to kill them. Paul was one of those people trying to kill Christians at one point. This whole question that we face has to be somewhat imaginative, somewhat theoretical, somewhat, but you need to think about it. How important is it? 
Now, I want you to think about this. First, the first point is, is the gospel central to your... To these circumstances, are you seeing how it is being moved forward and how you are more, ought to be more encouraged to speak the gospel because of the circumstances, because the proclamation of Christ is the most important and Christ being honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now you all know this next verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, let's check. I think the basic question is that, that we ask is wrong about this. Because you know, I remember being in like youth group, briefly, high school, and you know, it always goes around because you're trying to impress the girls because that's more important than dying for Jesus. But impressing the girls by being willing to die for Jesus is, is pretty considerable. So everybody's asked the question, would you, would you deny Christ if you were persecuted? Um, and of course, most of us, you know, I think honestly, start to say, you know, I might be wrong, but I think I, I wouldn't deny him under those circumstances. I think I would accept the persecution, whatever it was, the beating, the... I think we, we can imagine ourselves in a lot of circumstances. I can imagine getting drafted and going to war. Having people shoot at you and you shoot back. We can imagine all sorts of things where we know we're called to a difficult endeavor. But Paul didn't just say that Christ would be honored in his death. It's whether by life or by death. For to me is live is for me for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We ask the question about the death because we think that's where everybody's got you know, a little weak at the knees. But what really happens is, okay, if I get drafted, O oh Lord, for martyrdom, if I get it called in, yeah, some tyrannical Michiganding governor comes to Idaho and starts hauling us all off in chains, am I ready? Ready to stand in the Colosseum or the Kibbe Doom and be eaten by moose. Like that's all they could probably get around here to torment the believers. The problem is when we don't get called in, drafted to suffer for Jesus Christ, we're left, we kind of assume that we get left to our own devices and our own devices are not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our living isn't for Christ. We're kind of courageous about the dying moment. Oh, the push came to shove. Yes, I'd take a bullet for you, Mom. Mother's Day. I'd take a bullet for you, Mom. Take out the garbage. <laughs> we all want to be ready to do some heroic thing, some righteous thing. We live just like everybody else when we're not called to do it. Now I'm not saying in a, in a sermon that, that this is, everyone is being called to the ministry. I remember we had Keith Green here many years ago when he was alive. Um, and he was suggesting from the uh, concert stage that if you didn't give up everything you were doing right now and going uh, go out where knowing not whither you went, he was using Abraham as the text, um, you weren't righteous. I think he was a good guy. I think he was probably young at his thinking, but, but he, was, he was applying that kind of whatever Paul was doing, wandering around the Mediterranean. It was not what Paul was suggesting every other Christian do, but that the, the gospel that would be more likely to be on your lips because of what a Paul was going through. Christ being proclaimed, Christ being honored, for to him to live was Christ. But Christ doesn't have it as part of your conversion is that you become an itinerant revivalist preacher. That's not one of the signs of salvation. It's that you be full of love and joy and peace and patience, kind of goodness. You know what the effect of the gospel is for every Christian. The, the effect of the gospel 
particularly might be different gifts given to different people at different times to do different things, but every Christian is called to the life that we have in Christ. For me to live is Christ. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Ask yourself the question if you're that hard-pressed between the two. Yes, I'd be willing to die for you, Jesus. But not yet. Everybody wanted back in the Jesus people days for the Lord to come back, but only after they had a good, long marriage and a few trips to Disneyland. Where they could have enjoyed everything and then have it all end when they were maybe 65. Because we're holding a life in ourselves against death in Christ. I'm glad you got half of it worked out. I hope that you have all of it worked out. That all of it, all of life, including those things that you are free and encouraged to enjoy God in, uh, all things made to be received with thanksgiving. You can't look at that corn dog that you're really going to enjoy and say, I don't know how this works into the gospel, so I don't know how I can, I can eat it. No, it's not that sort of thing. Our God has given us these things. But if I've forgotten, I don't want to see my life disrupted by the gospel because I know it could end my job. It could end my reputation, town. Paul's struggling between living or dying. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Be with Christ. For that is far better. There's a level of belief there. He's either being pretentious like all the other ministers, you know, throwing in God words, Jesus words, to make you feel that his sentences are more important, or he actually, given that he probably could have arranged to have any one of his trials end badly for him. In this circumstance, he goes before Caesar and he gets off. He's decided that he wasn't going to, you know, push it with Nero. Nero is a little unstable. He could have easily died. So his concept of depart and leave with Christ, be with Christ, I'm, yeah, you bet. Where are you with your belief? Where are you with your faith? Does, is departing your faith really, I will be with Jesus? When you have loved ones die, they have, if they're believers, they're off to be with Jesus. Do I live for Christ? Do I die with Christ? To remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. People that are end up to envy, rivalry, pretension, insincerity, partisanship, they're more about whether they will get whatever cred that they need. Paul's more concerned, happy to be in jail and have these bad people preaching the gospel to irritate him because the gospel's preached. We want a glory in Christ Jesus. You don't want to be in a church or be in a ministry where you suspect that those that run it are a little disappointed when you start going on about Jesus Christ. That you're new at their fellowship, new at their church. And all you can talk about is Jesus Christ and not how much you really enjoy the services at this whatever church. Are the people at any church more happy that you're speaking of Christ than you are speaking of their church? If you're a visitor to another church, they know you're not coming back. You're just visiting. It's a great point of get. Those who were in different ministries, different ministries than Paul the Apostle. You know, Apollos had a different ministry than Paul's. And Apollos was probably a better preacher. From what I gather, he was pretty, pretty good. 
When you have those different ministries, they're thrilled. If Christ is number one, they're thrilled that your subject matter is Christ. And it was in the small things. It wasn't just when somebody hands out a gospel. Oh, I'm glad you got gospel tracts. I'm glad you're about the gospel. This was just Paul coming to them again. He said, that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The gospel, Christ, everything under it, because this is the thing that has changed you and changed your life. Everything under it is... Um, in service to it. This is what's going to judge the world. This is what's the, the yes and the no at the end. This is why you get to be on the yes side. Now, the, probably what probably tacked me down on this stress of Paul and the gospel and what he wanted to have the effect in other people's life is this verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh, doesn't say just be good. It's not. That was my grandma's line. Be good. Don't be like other boys. Okay, grandma. It's some sort of vague Wilson, you know, um, ethicist. We're a different part. We're not just. What was my grandma's name? Lillian? Okay. Lillian would um, could force it. <laughs> she, was, she had six sons that would just stand up straight when she'd walk in. We have something else to serve. I noticed that about my uncles. They're very devoted, very, the ones that are still alive, very devoted to being Wilsons. You're probably living in Moscow going, I'm sick of Wilsons. Fine, knock yourselves out. But in the broader Wilson family, my dad's brothers and their descendants, they're pretty, not proud, they're just, they feel it's his duty, you know, kind of being upright. It's admirable. I like my uncles. They're salt of the earth Americans. Serve their country. Witty, intelligent, serving Wilsonhood. We're Christians. Let our lives be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have that little comment on the side that when are Jesus people, it's come up a lot today, of course. So the old line was, if they arrested you for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Because in many ways, manner of life, yeah, that just, that just collects a bunch of things. Manner of life, worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I've got, to, I've got to measure some things. There's a vague terminology there, St. Paul. But it's about the gospel. It's got to touch the elements of my personal culture. How is my family? It's not talking about whether you catechize the children. It's about whether or not you honor what it is that Christ has come to do. So whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you stand firm. Is it? This is what I'm asking you to do so that what I hear, this is where it tells you what the evidence will be, that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's not going to let us up this morning. That that's what I want to hear about you. That you're thinking, and anything we do as a church, a potluck you have, a, a streaming service that is that reach people with Jesus Christ. 
and that any Christians are held together by that claim. Now, you, you've heard me say before in other circles of people ask me what people should commonly believe. Uh, like if they were going to get married, what kind of doctrines should they be in agreement with? Well, I think all Christians should be in agreement with these three things. They should believe the gospel. Dang it. Two, they should desire to please their God. And three, they should know where truth comes from. That's enough. I don't care what you think about baptism. I don't care what you think about end times. If you know where truth comes from and you desire to please your God, you won't be stupid for long. We know that the gospel is that power of God to redeem us. And that if we're all with one mind, with one spirit, striving for that thing, that should be what, you know, what people call you an evangelical. That's why. Because the evangel, the gospel, is central. And not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear omen to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You know, whether you apply it to the current mistakes people are making, people being frightened by others or attempting to be frightened. There's some people who say, are you kidding? I don't know why your fear has to control me, but my courage can't control you. When people are living in fear, it becomes ominous to them. They're the ones that it doesn't matter what the subject. It could be the gospel, it could be a virus, it could be a war, it could be all sorts of things. But fear, getting a hold, is destruction. And even though the people that are on the other side and are not afraid, it is their salvation and that from God. But the salvation isn't that you don't have something to fear. Because he then promises you in the next verse, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of God, or excuse me, for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, da-da, the gospel, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict which you saw, and now here to be mine. It is saying that our victory in fear, regarding fear, is not because our courage fixed the problem. It is not courage because we don't think the virus is going to be bad in Leyton County. That's not why you're courageous. You're courageous even if the virus was bad in Leyton County. You're courageous because where you stand as a human being is courageous. Where you stand that you know that Christ is bigger than all viri and all circumstances and all persecution and so they could throw you in jail just like they threw St. Paul in jail but you learned that this was worth being in jail for to live or die for Christ we have a lot of things that sidestep us we don't want to necessarily think how much it would change our lives if this were true, if the gospel were true we believe it we would affirm that it's true in our lives. But you know, there's a, probably a level of thinking about it where it becomes really true. How much would your life change if you got there? I mean, really true. That some dead Jew who rose again from the dead was God himself and he's waiting to hear if you believe. So he can forgive or not. What would happen to you? What, what would this mean? What, would, what are the gifts given? I like this passage, and I'll close with it, the uh, Acts passage on the left-hand side, where you sometimes are, are amazed at the apostles, what they had died for Christ, like to a man. Maybe one of them or two of them died of old age, but maybe John did, I think. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, this was when Gamaliel had been there, and the, the right or very early in the ministry. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. This is, again, 
like broom handle beatings, not, you know, fisticuffs. They probably hit them with sticks, hard sticks, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There you go. Public dishonor and a beating on top of it. And they're rejoicing because it was for that gospel. And they went out and said, sir, may I have another? I'd like to preach a little bit more in the name of Jesus Christ. How will we live? What manner of life will you live in the gospel? Remember, the Philippian church is one of those good ones. You're happy to read what Paul has to say to them. They see eye to eye with him. We want to be the kind of church that does. That the gospel, opportunity for the gospel, be thinking about who you know that you may have never felt the courage to speak of Jesus Christ to that we could be praying for, if nothing else, praying for them. We get a lot of requests for, you know, cancer patients and changes in life, but we all know unbelievers that need the Lord. So be thinking of that. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful that your gospel has called us out of darkness and into your son's marvelous light. We'd ask that you would help us each hold our lives up to that measure that we know what the manner of life would be of a person who did believe it. That we would be encouraged by the lives of other believers who have gone before us and have been courageous in bad circumstances. Lord, we know we're not going to get promised to be one long success. But Lord, help us be faithful in success and in life and in failure and death. Faithful to your Son and his gospel. In your son's name we pray. Amen.